We've been talking about the fact that Dr. Theresa Tam today confirmed that Canada is in a sixth wave of COVID-19. The latest rise in cases across this country is fueled, she says, by the BA2 subvariant of Omicron. Uh, she says there's multiple other indicators as well, from ad- average daily case counts to lab tests, positivity, wastewater monitoring. They all indicate increasing transmission of COVID-19 in recent weeks. Uh, Dr. Tam says getting your vaccines up to date is key, uh, as is getting a booster. She also suggests a vaccine plus approach to COVID. With disease activities very high and still rising in many communities, it's important to use other precautions like masking, improving ventilation or opting for outdoor settings and staying home if we have symptoms or have tested positive. Tam says we need to be prepared for a resurgence of COVID in the fall and winter and the potential need for an additional booster at that time. But what is the current state of the pandemic in Canada and how with data issues are we keeping track? How do we assess the risk to ourselves, particularly now that responsibility for staying COVID free is pretty much down to us? Joining me now with more on that is Dr. Tara Moriarty. She's an associate professor at the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Dentistry with a cross-appointment to the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathobiology in the Faculty of Medicine. She's also the principal investigator in the Moriarty Lab, an infectious diseases research laboratory, and is part of the COVID-19 Resources Canada Group. Uh, Dr. Moriarty, thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, thank you very much, Ben, for having me on. This has been a fascinating debate because you've really been focused on trying to find the right data. And I think one of the things that's been fascinating is that uh, while you've managed to pull together some really fascinating numbers, it's been a struggle to find out exactly what, get a clear picture of what the COVID case situation is like right now in this country. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I am far from being uh, unique. It's just that I, you know, talk about it more and I, I sort of publicly, um, uh, using Twitter, for example, talk about um, how to figure these things out, how to try to do these estimates. So people are can kind of learn as they go along as I'm figuring it out. But this is a problem that is facing um, uh, every epidemiologist across the country working on COVID, every modeler, um, every planner, anyone who has to try to anticipate what's going on with COVID. And that's at sort of the macro level. Um, And at the individual level, people are profoundly confused about what's happening, um, how they should respond to it, and um, are increasingly frustrated and also distrustful of institutions um, and of uh, governments to, um, to provide accurate information and to provide the support that people need. So it's a very difficult time and um, not only is it crucial to get data to people that they can use in a, you know in an everyday way, um, but it's also really crucial to make sure that people know that there are scientists and others out there that many of us care deeply about the situations people are in and about this particular problem and that we're working really hard to try to support people and that we're there. Um, So we're really trying to establish community around that and make sure that every Canadian can talk directly to a scientist if they want. Yeah, the COVID-19 Resources Canada uh, project is fascinating because you are there, in fact, answering questions. And I know it's, it's it, you know, you all have your own specialties. I gather that modeling COVID isn't one of, isn't something that you're meant to be doing necessarily, just something no, that you have no. a skill, a, you yeah, have a skill at it, no. you have a skill at it. So you're able to do it, which is, 
which is part of the beauty of it to some extent. I, I noticed that yeah. everyone sort of pitches in what they can do to try to come yeah. up with some answers for people who are waiting for them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in, in some ways, I mean, COVID has been very um, interesting and liberating that way, I guess, um, for academics and for many of us like me. I'm very good at math. Um, I did, um, I'm an infectious disease researcher. I did a lot of biophysics work um, before uh, COVID hit. And um, I normally work on Lyme disease as well. So I've doing, been doing a lot of um, uh, sort of public engagement or interacting with people, talking, trying to understand what patient needs are. Um, so I have experience in that area and they, they morph together. But, you know, from the beginning of the epidemic, what became clear was that many, many people were going to have to take whatever skills they had um, that they were good at and try to adapt them and pitch in in different ways. And uh, because no one was a COVID expert, right, before all this started. And it's the ability to work with other people, learn from other people, and then sometimes just hustle and say, okay, I we don't have this. It would be ideal if we had this information but we don't have it. So how are we going to try to triangulate or work around that problem? And the whole epidemic has been a series of um, troubleshooting problems related to data, everything. Um, so, uh, you know, I enjoy working like that and uh, there's nothing I love better than a problem to solve. <laughs> um, so in some ways it's very energizing and, and, it's really interesting to be learning so much so fast from so many people. Um, so in that part, it's actually um, enjoyable, but it's also because we, I and others, other volunteers have been talking directly, speaking directly with people for um, a couple of years now related to COVID and how we can help. It's very um it's very compelling. Um, you know, I uh, previously worked on very interesting and important problems, um, but this is so applied and there is such an urgent need and there are so many faces and people um, and stories um, out there that, that, and people I'm interacting with daily that um, the motivation to do this and the understanding of the importance of it is pretty acute. Um and that part is wonderful. Like you saw the session this evening that you attended, people from across the country, different, just there's something really lovely about many people getting together and talking and working together. Um, and it gives me hope when I get pretty discouraged. So it's good for me, <laughs> not just yeah. everyone else. <laughs> and and what was interesting too, is just, I, I realized that the data that you're, that you're coming up with, the numbers that you're coming up with, and I'll ask you about those numbers, yeah. but there are, I mean, you're, 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 there's always trouble with trying to be certain. We can't be certain, but you yeah. can at least, yeah. some information is better than no information at all is, is what I took away from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what have you been finding though, in this, as we enter what Dr. Tam said today, officially really is a sixth wave, depending where you are. Uh, but you, you've clearly seen evidence of that as well. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in provinces where certainly in provinces where there are waste, where there's wastewater data, it's been clear we've been in a sixth wave 
um, for quite a while. Um, you can see it in test positivity rates, which have really been going up. Um, and you can, that's something simple that people can check on on a daily basis. You can go to the, the pub, you can Google for Public Health Agency of Canada daily epidemiology report. And there's an interactive graphic there where you can look at the test positivity rates in every province. And if it's going up, it's not good. Um, so, so um, yeah, there are lots of, of um, there are lots of uncertainties, but, you know, I and many others have been, um, since we really started testing and reporting a lot less in January, um, a lot of people have been working behind the scenes trying to come up with new ways to look at the data that help uh, deal with those uncertainties and overcome them. Um, and so what you're seeing now is the result of, of a lot of people having solved, not perfectly, but well enough that it's working well, um, some of these issues. So it just, it takes time, right? And if provinces had simply, you know, tested at their full capacity and reported well, um, there wouldn't have been, you know, scientists across the country trying to figure out workarounds, right, to get yeah. the information to people. That's it's crazy. It's there are so many things that need to be done. It's not a great use of of expert time, right? You've come up with a really interesting concept that I believe is also being worked on by others, but it is this idea, and I'll ask you about it. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll ask you more about it. It's this idea, we're all familiar with fire warnings when you go to a park, you know, it's low, medium, moderate, extreme, and they have the color codes. And the idea is so that we know whether it's okay to go to the mall, whether it's okay to go to bingo, as an example came up, uh, to institute this sort of warning system for people in their communities when it comes to COVID. And I wanted to ask you more about that. I'll do so right after this. Dr. Tara Moriarty is with us. She's an associate professor at the University of Toronto in the Faculty of Dentistry, uh, as well as the principal investigator in the Moriarty Lab and Infectious Disease Research Laboratory and part of the COVID-19 Resources Canada Initiative, which is a group of scientists that essentially are there to help us uh, and to answer questions and provide knowledgeable guidance to us about the state of COVID and what we can do about it. Certainly an interesting and important resource at this time. I was really fascinated by this idea that you'd come up with. And I think a lot of it was down to the idea that uh, we've been kind of left to our own devices to figure out whether whether we can, you know, how dangerous the situation is around us when it comes to COVID. And it was this idea of putting together something like a what the fire warning system is like um, with with low and low to extreme. Uh, tell me a bit about that idea and, and, and how it's progressing. Oh, um, well, actually, it's really not a new idea. Um, right. Some provinces had um, kind of like a, a traffic light system, color-coded system, um, quite, a, quite a while back um, in the epidemic. And it's a very good idea. So it's, it's, it's a, a color-coded system that says these are what the hazard levels are like, and these are the types of um, measures that you should take um, to protect yourself and your community according to the hazard level. Um, so it's not new. And, um, and I've been reading a lot. There are um, scientists and groups of scientists in the U.S. who are trying to do something similar. There have been some really, um, really detailed, useful documents that have been made publicly available. Um, so I started thinking about that. And we, we badly need this in Canada. We have even less data um, and 
less testing and less reporting than than in the US or most other OECD countries. And um, so I started thinking about it, thinking about the types of data that we can actually obtain in Canada and how we can use them to um, to assess risk. And along the way, um, I, I work a lot on COVID mortality. I'm, I'm an expert in that. Um, so along the way, I was um, working out ways to estimate how many infections we've had, looking at whether it measures up with wastewater data. So it was a convergence of a couple of things that I and many others, not just me, have been working on. And um, in these sessions that we have on Tuesday evenings, where we talk with anyone who wants to, anyone in Canada who wants to talk about COVID data, um, the idea of the the firewheel, um, people have, we've been talking about different ways to present this that go from very, very simple, like the fire hazard wheel down to more detailed, because not everyone needs all the detail or wants it or has the time. Um, not everyone reads well. Not everyone has is comfortable with numbers, right? Um, so you need to make sure that that it's accessible to everyone um, and that it's readily understandable. So most of the <coughs> the planning in terms of making this um, accessible and usable has actually a lot of the input for that. Most of it has come from people from across the country who join this, um, this Tuesday evening session, um, many of whom are not scientists um, and who have um, particular personal concerns or others related to COVID. Um, and it's been really interesting. It's, it's really great to design something starting with people, with input from people, because it's, what we're doing is quite different than I probably would have started out if left to my own devices. Um, so we're, we're getting there. We've got, I've, we've been able to collect a bunch of the different kinds of data that we know are available across the country. We're sort of trying to finalize some of it um, right now in terms of how to weight it. And I'm hoping um, that by next week, we'll have a, a really kind of crude homemade version up on a website um, that people can start trying out um, and that we can learn how they're interacting with it and what they, and what people need. And I, really the point I think here is to try to, in, in a, in an environment where things seem a lot more uncertain about the spread of COVID, that it allows people at least to get a cursory idea of what the situation Absolutely. where they are actually is. And it seems like it's an important update now to what we had in terms of color warnings back early in the pandemic. Uh, yes, it does. And, and, you know, it takes into account a lot of things, um, you know, the the current and future hospitalization burden, um, the, you know, the rate of people who have their third doses, age, like there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into it that were not as uh, available, I guess, early in the pandemic as well. So we know, we understand a lot more now than we did. Um, so some of it, it's easier to do do this um, than it was previously. It's just finding good data sources that are consistently available for every province. I often ask this question of people who spend a lot of time studying the numbers or, or in, in healthcare environments. Do you feel more optimistic now than you did six months ago about where we're headed with this? Um, well, I'm not sure. What I'm really worried about is people 
um, tuning out and really not being aware of, of how serious the problem still is. I'm actually very worried about that. I'm very worried about fraying trust um, and social cohesion. You know, historically, in every epidemic, the 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 worst period is often the very end of it. And the reason it goes really badly is because the social cohesion, all of those things start falling apart and people can't work together. Communications aren't clear. That's what I'm most afraid of right now, actually, even if we have, I mean, we have, even if we have treatments and preventions and everything else that are effective, um, we're not applying them and we're not providing people with the information they need. So what I fear is that sort of the human part of us <laughs> that has to actually do these things. That's what I fear right now. Um, uh, in terms of the virus, I just don't know. It feels like every six months there's a new problem and there are going to be variants. And I guess I, I think in the summer things will be better. I think maybe ask me in three months and I might have a better sense. But we're still Dr. looking Moriarty? at probably 18,000 deaths in Canada. Sorry. I know. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, COVID-19 Resources Canada. You can Google it. It's a great resource. Dr. Moriarty, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me on.